Hi, welcome to another PSD cast from Power Systems Design. I'm your host, Alex Paltz, and today I've got Jim Brainerd. He's the six-term mayor of Carmel, Indiana. Now, uh, the reason I have him on the show is he's a very big advocate for next-generation uh, environmental and renewable energy technologies, and I thought this would be a great opportunity to have the, in one essence, the end customer come in and talk about uh, all of what's going on in the very busy world of the smart grid. Welcome to the show, Jim. Well, it's great to be here. Oh, I'm really glad to have you here, Jim, because as I said to the audience, I mean, you as a chief of a municipality, you're the mayor of a town, a city, you're literally the person that they need to design towards. Well, cities, of course, do a lot of varied things, everything from build roads and plan transportation systems to deal with bio-waste and trash, electrical grids, uh, district energy centers. And probably most importantly, one of the things that we haven't done well in the U.S. in the development of our new cities, the suburbs, since we got over about 25% car ownership in the mid-1940s after the war, was designer cities so they're walkable and pedestrian friendly and so we're trying to do things a bit differently here we challenge every accepted uh, accepted principle and uh, but what we've done is try to design a much more walkable pedestrian friendly city where people don't have the need to drive focus a lot on building materials Uh, Mm -hmm. as a result we're more competitive well, you know, and Jim, the beautiful part about that, and that, and one of the reasons that I have you on the show is my audience um, knows I almost beat it to death, but I'm, I'm basically the message is power is sexy again, and it's not because people are falling in love with power supplies or capacitors or anything. It's because energy awareness is now key, and all of those things you said involve energy management of one kind or another and energy efficiency, maximizing energy efficiency to make sure that you can deliver that functionality at a minimum cost to the municipality. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. We need to do it as efficiently as possible. We need new products. We need the research. It's about efficiency, uh, and it's about being smarter to handle the uh, climate impacts that we're seeing. Mm-hmm. So now, Jim, what are some of the areas that you see challenges um, in Carmel to implement some of these uh, technologies, implement some of these services that you want to achieve? Well, I think district energy has huge, you know, if we heat up, uh, and I'm not an engineer, but if you heat a furnace up, it takes a while before it starts spewing hot air. Uh, if we've got that furnace running constantly, cycling between buildings, it's much more efficient. We know that probably by 50%. So we're looking at how we set up systems. A lot of this involves public policy as well. How we set up systems to have district energy so so that... Uh, Various neighborhoods may have the same heating and cooling plant, uh, a much more efficient system because it's larger, uh, better designed, better maintained than having an individual unit in each home. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, and the more things change, the more things stay the same. I'm a New Yorker by birth, and uh, that harkens right back to the old steam tunnel uh, networks that they set up in Manhattan for centralized heating for city blocks. Yeah, Indianapolis has the same system they still use. Um, oh, our, excellent. Our large suburb to the south here, we're the largest actually edge city to Indianapolis. Indianapolis uh, in the downtown area is still using a centralized steam uh, heat system. Uh, and so it's actually just migrating thing. it. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry, Jim. No, yeah, it's I'm okay. just migrating it. 
Exactly. Another area we're looking at is is our uh, fleet. We have lots of vehicles. We also set the example for the rest of the community. So we're starting to use hydrogen for some of our street department trucks now. So the question mm-hmm. is, hydrogen, that's easy. We know how to convert. We know how to do it. We know how to make it safe. question is the distribution system. How do, so how do we get a hydrogen distribution system? We can lower our carbon input tremendously if we were to switch to more hydrogen vehicles. Mm-hmm. But this or even the challenge. Or, 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 or Jim, even if you say went uh, with electric vehicles, but then there are some uh, communities, there are some facilities looking at using the electric vehicles when they're parked as part of the grid stiffening. Really? That makes sense. Wasn't aware of that. It's a good, great idea. And, and then that and way you could say, for example, different. yeah, have your municipal parking lot could then, when it's idle, especially at night, it's instantly then a multi- megawatt storage facility for the local grid. Yeah, it's a great idea. That's, that's a great and idea. And so some, some facilities are doing that. So just to get, I'm glad that uh, we were able to give you a little bit of an idea because I know you're giving us some ideas. Um, so it, hi, hydrogen may not, it may not be the sole solution. Uh, another position of the publication, uh, something that we've said often in uh, our editorials, is... Uh, I personally don't believe that we're going to completely eliminate fossil fuels from the industry. The key is no. to eliminate them from the application spaces that they're not needed. That's perfect. And, you know, every bit makes a difference and is good. And we need to save those fossil fuels. You never know when we may need them in the future. Um, mm-hmm. And I think, you know, we, we, conserving those things. I keep pointing out to some of my fellow Republicans in this area that, you know, the root of the word conservative is conserve. We ought to be careful. Uh, we only have so much of them. And at some point, we will run out of a lot of the key fossil fuels, or they'll be so hard to extract that it will be impossible to get to them. The um, effective. Yeah, another thing that cities deal with uh, is bio-waste. I think there's tremendous possibilities there, uh, using it to turn, uh, you know, in World War II, uh, Germans were, were uh, using bio-waste, mixing it with trash, to uh, produce uh, fuel. Uh, on a very large scale. Uh, again, all all things are new, and I think we need to look at the difference. In the United States, we have very, thousands of very small sanitary sewer plants, where in Europe we tend to have very large centralized ones. But look at that on a small scale. How do we do that? How do we create fuel out of that bio-waste? How do we use more of the methane flame that's put off from the bio-waste in our sewage plants? We have taken the system actually heating up the left over effluent to about 900 degrees, turning it into fertilizer. We used to have to haul it mm. to a landfill. Eliminated four jobs, the landfill cost, and the truck running back and forth uh, 24-7. Wow. Well, and that's the beautiful part about all of this, Jim, is that the uh, benefits from any one solution, if it's a good solution, cascade beyond the immediate solution. A a satisfactory, or one could say from an engineering viewpoint, a bad solution is one that only solves the problem at hand and doesn't take into effect the system, whereas a proper solution not only solves the problem at hand, but works with the system that it's designed to operate in. Exactly. Exactly. 
And then so much of it comes down to city design, too, and that's the challenge. We have volunteer plan commissions and zoning boards, and in many cases, volunteer mayors and in this country, and we haven't, we've designed our cities so they're not sustainable. We used to have very sustainable cities because we had to. People walked. For 3,000 years, we knew how to design beautiful cities. Uh, then the car comes along. We finally got over 25% car ownership after World War II, and we started to design our cities for cars, not people. And so there's a great discussion within the city planning uh not only academia, but but the practitioners as well, about moving the pendulum back uh, to to really focus on making sure that people can walk from places they actually need to go in our cities. They don't have to to drive from you know one area of town is all schools and and religious institutions, another area is apartments, another area is houses, another area is the factories, mm-hmm. another area the office buildings. But mixing those uses up so that people really don't have to leave their neighborhood unless they choose to. Right, but then the key there is like if you're almost talking about a European model, smaller cities spread widely, but then each of them has their own cultural center and entertainment. Because you can't just simply put a people in a bunch of a bunch of people in a place and say, okay, you have enough food, water, and shelter, you're done. Oh, that's right, and absolutely, and that's why we've driven our economic development here in Carmel with a $175 million arts complex that, that, that uh, a, uh, a true concert hall as opposed to a theater, and then two smaller theaters, uh, and, and then we do neighborhood centers. We connect all of these centers. Uh, we, we've built uh, 200 miles of bike trails. We, our main trail on a nice summer day, we'll get uh, 15,000. We have electronic counters. We get 15,000 riders in our trail system. Uh, it's healthier. Uh, it's fun. It's more social. But w- what we're doing mm-hmm. is really looking back to the past in many ways and saying, you know, how did our cities work for 3,000 years before the car came along and replicating a lot of those things while still accommodating the cars and modern technology and using it to make life better? Well, uh, Tim, if I may, you know, that's the observation you just made about, you know, bringing the past back, you know, the more things change, the more they say the same. I think it's more of a case of when we have a big technological development in society, we tend to think that our current developments are permanent changes or that these are very big uh, yeah. seismic changes in society. They are, but they're all part of, in one sense, one big, you know, the last hundred years compared to the sweep of human society. So we're only barely integrating all of these technologies into society in a way that actually is beneficial to people. So I could easily see new social mores, new uh, habits, new cultures develop, but of course anchored to the way people used to do things and bringing those old ideas from the past, like electric cars from the 1800s and like pneumatic railroads, you know, this, this hyperlink that uh, Musk is trying to make underneath, again, you know, there's my New York City coming out again, underneath Manhattan's an old pneumatic subway. They used to blow it down the pipes. Uh, mm-hmm. he, he, they did build it without the Boss Tweed's permission, so it got shut down, but it had nothing to do with the technology. <laughs> well, that's New York. <laughs> <laughs> Which is the other side of the coin as a municipality. I hate to say it. Everything costs money, and uh, unfortunately, it's not always the... Um, well, here's an interesting point. One of the things we've discovered, and look at it from a city planning standpoint for a minute. 
sprawl is one of the things that has really hurt this country and most of the cities in it. And there's a tendency mm-hmm. to sprawl out because it's easy it's for the developers, it's easy for the lenders. But, you know, a, a two-lane road today costs $10 million a mile in the Midwest. Fire station, a you know, four million dollars a year to staff, and didn't look at the property tax. Uh, that's the expense side. Look at the property tax. So, if if I have a one-story building and we put surface parking on it, so let's, let's say hypothetically I've got forty thousand square feet that'll support a ten thousand square foot building. Let's say I get a dollar mm-hmm. per square foot in property tax for that building, and. On the other hand, if we take a 40,000, uh, that 40,000 uh, square foot piece of land, put the cars underneath, which would happen in New York City because of land prices, but not in most cities in the U.S. But we right. city partners with the private sector to put that parking garage underneath. Now we have a footprint of 40,000 square feet, and we go up five stories like Western Europe. Now that $10,000 uh, revenue from that one piece of land has been turned into $200,000 Mm-hmm. of revenue mm-hmm. from that land at a dollar per square foot. And we've reduced the need for that $10 million uh, a mile road by four-fifths. Uh, so, so many cities build sprawls. They don't realize what they're doing to the point where it's uh, where they're bankrupt or at least insolvent. So, again, going back to looking at, at the fiscal model of how cities were built when people had to walk, when they had to be more sustainable in that way, um, would be a good thing from a, a financial standpoint. But uh, mm-hmm. cities have gotten into trouble by sprawling out way too far. There you go. Now, Jim, let's say you had a, a, a short shopping list. You know, you had, there you have, you have Mr. Wizard standing right in front of you, and he says, all right, you can have three things for your city. Ooh. What three things? And it don't necessarily have to be directly power-related, but what electronic wizardry would you wish existed to help you run your city better? Wish we had a uh, 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 good distribution distribution system for hydrogen. Number two, uh, I wish we had a lot of battery capacity, a place to store our electricity. We could be so much more efficient. And I wish we had better ways of using our bio waste at this point in time. Those three things. Well, there you go, uh, audience. Uh have at it, and uh, where do they get in touch with you if they have an idea to help move the ball forward? Well, our website here in Carmel is www.carmel.in for Indiana, .gov for government, carmel.in.gov, and you go to the mayor's page there, shoot an email off, it comes directly to me. Nobody sees it until I open it up. And I'd love to hear from anyone that has ideas, start a discussion. Um, that's how, how we make progress. Excellent. Well, hey, Jim, before I let you go, I always let my guests have the last word on my show. So it could be uh, something about what you're doing in Carmel, something nice about Carmel, just to pitch it for the audience or just a tip for them. But the floor is yours. Well, thanks. I, you know, mayors are salespeople. They're, they're the chief cheerleader <laughs> for their city. So I'm going to tell you one fact about Carmel, and that is that Money Magazine named us a couple years ago the best city under 300,000 people in the United States to live in in the entire country. They started with 200 data points. They sent teams out to the top 10 cities. Uh, so we don't have mountains or we don't have oceans, but I point out to people, neither did Paris, and they did just fine. So we're building a beautiful city here and would welcome anybody. Wow. Well, hey, Jim, that was a great thing. Um, 
I love it. You could hear the passion in your voice. I'm going to definitely have to visit that place myself. And I encourage the audience to uh, get in touch and look into all of this because it really is important to have uh, visionary leaders and people who can actually help move the ball forward because to simply wish to have these technologies is a lot, but to actually implement them in a functional municipality is a different thing entirely. So thank you so much, Jim, for coming by. Oh, it's great to be with you and have this discussion. Oh, the pleasure is ours. And I'd like to thank everybody out there in the audience for taking the time to be with us. We wouldn't be here without you. Tell your friends. This is Alex Paul for Power Systems Design. Have a great day.